sentire media hello you you're listening to a history of italy episode 120 braccio da montone early life of a condottiero 1368-1407. Before we start, a word from our sponsor. Now we have an issue with stamps in Italy. You can't seem to find them anywhere. You walk into a post office, and this has actually happened to me, and say, can I have some stamps, please? In a post office, mind you. And they say, no, I'm sorry, we don't have any. In a post office. This is very likely because in Italy, we don't have a wonderful service, such as stamps.com. Indeed, since 1998, stamps.com has been an indispensable tool for nearly one million businesses. Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS shipping right to your computer. Whether you're an office sending invoices, a side hustle Etsy shop, or a full-blown warehouse shipping out orders, Stamps.com will make your life easier. All you need is a computer and a standard printer. No special supplies or equipment required. Within minutes, you're up and running, printing official postage for any letter, any package, anywhere, even here in Italy, why not? And you'll get exclusive discounts on postage and shipping from USPS and UPS. Once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or drop it off. No traffic, no lines. Or queues if you're in the UK. Cut the confusion out of shipping. With Stamps.com new Rate Advisor tool, you can compare shipping rates and timelines to easily find the best option. Save time and money with Stamps.com. There is no risk, and with my promo code POD, P-O-D, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a digital scale. Can you imagine what you could measure with a digital scale in the house? You can go crazy with that thing. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in POD, P-O-D. That's stamps.com, promo code POD, stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. And believe me, if you're in Italy, you really, really don't want to go there. Today we are going to take a tour of the Papal States and Central Italy between the end of the 14th and the beginning of the 15th century. We are going to have a very special tour guide leading the way. Indeed, in the last episode, I mentioned that when Pope Martin V 
ended the Great Western Schism. One of the big issues he had to deal with was that of a nobleman, sellsword, an adventurer, general. A concept which in Italian is encapsulated in the word condottiero. We're going to enlist the tourist services of a man named Braccio da Montone, born Andrea Forte Braccio, Andrew Strongarm, if you will. And if that isn't a cool name, I don't know what is. He will allow us to look back on some of the things we have spoken about recently, the Kingdom of Naples, the Papal States, and other areas of central Italy, as well as tying things together and allowing us to catch up on a few holes we left here and there. Andrea was born in 1368, but let's first check in on him around 1379, the year in which his father, Oddo, died to the derision of the Forte Braccio family enemies, the Raspanti and the Olivi, all prominent families from the city of Perugia. So, that will be the first stop on our little tour. Now, you can't get much more central Italy than the region in which Perugia lies, and that is the region of Umbria. Indeed, it is central both going from north to south and from east to west, and is one of the few Italian regions that does not have access to the sea. It is a lovely region of rolling hills moving up into Apennine Mountains, wonderful wines, and such places as the above-mentioned Perugia and Assisi, where St. Francis was from. I'm not much for Catholicism myself, but I really felt something special in my trip to Assisi, a place of spiritual calm and beauty. In stark contrast, for example, to when I visited the shrine of Padre Pio, further south, which is a plastic Catholic Disneyland, made of very keech memorabilia of the saint. Perugia itself is a lovely city, and it's our version of the chocolate factory, because that's where our famous chocolate comes from, and they even have a great chocolate festival once a year. Gubbio, Spoleto, Orvieto, and of course Lake Trasimeno are all other great tourist locations in Umbria. Let's now go back to our 1379 and an 11-year-old Andrea Fortebraccio, who watches from another room as his mother weeps for the loss of her husband and the shame put upon them by the rival families. The young boy swears that from that moment on, he would dedicate his life to protecting his family. Fast forward to a scholarly-looking young man hurrying through a square in the city of Perugia some seven years later. This man is Carlo Fortebraccio, older brother of Andrea. As he crosses the square, he is hailed by a member of the rival Olivi family, closely related to the Raspanti. They start to make fun of Carlo, and when he doesn't respond, Three of them block his path. A scuffle ensues, and soon weapons are drawn. At the first signs of trouble, a friend of Carlo's family had dashed off to warn his younger brother Andrea, and soon enough he bursts into the square, sword drawn to protect his brother. 
The assailants observed the newcomer, not particularly tall, but very muscular, coiled like a snake ready to pounce. His muscles taut like springs ready to be released. Before long, two of the assailants lay dead in the square. The two Fortebraccio brothers make their way back home with the news of the duel. The mother and other siblings despair. The killing of the two rivals means that Andrea will be forced to flee the city in exile, as well as facing the wrath of the brother of the slain. In the latter case, Andrea has a solution. He makes his way out of the city a little distance and sits along the roadside waiting. Soon enough, the brother of his two victims comes galloping towards the town. Andrea blocks his path. The new arrival dismounts from his horse and unsheaths his sword. And soon enough, he too is lying dead along the dusty road. From that day forth, Andrea changes his life but also his name. He became known as Braccio, Arm, which sounds rather silly in English really, Arm, Strong Arm, but it sounds a little bit better in Italian, I can assure you. He went down in history indeed as Braccio da Montone, Montone being the castle and hamlet his family was originally from. He soon turned to a life as a soldier, a sellsword, something he was always very good at. He ended up in the service of the powerful Montefeltro family of Urbino, another city definitely worth a visit. Basically, all cities in Italy are worth a visit, but what are you going to do about it? Visit them all, I suppose. Some of you Italian history buffs may be familiar with the famous Renaissance figure of Federico da Montefeltro. He is on his way, but not quite born yet. At the moment, the family are trying to elbow their way from their original castle of Montefeltro to eventually arrive and become Dukes of Urbino and the surrounding areas under a dominion that would eventually cover part of the current-day regions of Umbria, Le Marche and Romagna. Speaking of which, the big issue that the Montefeltro family have at the time of Braccio's arrival in their service was with the Malatesta family of Rimini. The Malatesta claimed to be able to trace their origins all the way back to Scipio Africanus, he of Hannibal-era memory, but nobody really believed them on this. In any case, they originated from the castle of Verrucchio, near the city of Rimini, and when the city became a commune, they kneeled to the communal authority. By the late 1200s instead, the tables had turned and the Malatesta would become lords of the city and during all of the 14th century they would expand their dominion over cities in Romagna and Le Marche, heading down to Pesaro, which is what brought them into contrast with the Montefeltro from Urbino. In this particular contrast, Although Braccio has already made a name for himself, he didn't really get to do much as he was seriously wounded and was in a coma for several days. He got back to his adventuring life and managed to then get captured by the then Lord of Perugia, Biordo Michelotti. You can forget his name if you want, try and remember the others, I'll remind you later at the end of the episode. 
the lord of Perugia saw Braccio's potential and offered to hire him. But it is here that Braccio started to show that he was not just any old sellsword. Indeed, if he were to fight, of course it would definitely be for cash, but he would also put a little bit of ideology into it, and he would not fight for those who had exiled him from his homeland, Perugia. So his family was forced to step in and pay his ransom. Soon he was out adventuring again, although he did take off a little bit of time to get married to Elisabetta, who would become his beloved Betta and who he would treat with great affection for all of their lives. This despite having various children from other women as he wandered round the peninsula in his adventures, and to his credit he did recognise these children and set them up in his family home, which must have really pleased his wife, considering that the poor woman couldn't have any children of her own. They did, however, maintain a good relationship until her death. As we mentioned, he was off adventuring soon enough, and back to accumulating a nice bunch of booty. Unfortunately, during one trip in which he was on his way home to visit his family and share out some of the riches with them, he stayed in an inn that burned down and basically lost everything. After that experience, however, he picked himself up, dusted himself off, and started again, entering the company of one of the most famous condottieri of the time, Alberigo da Barbiano. You can forget that name too if you want. He was the leader of the famous Compagnia di San Giorgio, the company of St. George. Not the only one of that name around in the Middle Ages, but one of the most famous. Alderigo needed some good men because he was mounting an attack on the city of Bologna. Now, we've already spoken about Bologna back in the episodes I called A Load of Bologna from Bologna. Basically, the joke there being that what is called bologna in America comes from the city of Bologna, that's the cured meat, where it is actually known as mortadella. If you want to hear more about Bologna, go ahead and go back to those episodes. Here, suffice it to say that it was a proudly independent city, and at the time we're talking about, i.e. between the 14th and 15th centuries, it was coming from a newly renewed communal experience. Indeed, in 1376, it had rebelled and sent away the papal representative and set up a new commune that lasted until 1501 when the Bentivoglio family became lords of the city and would dominate until they were sent away again by the Pope in 1506. Incidentally, Bentivoglio is a lovely name because it means I care for you or I love you. In the mind of the popes, Bologna was a part of the Papal States, so they did not take too kindly to Bologna going off and being independent. Then again, in the minds of some popes, all of Western Christendom should have been part of the political Papal States. But let's not get too much into detail there. Today, Bologna is the central province of the Emilia-Romagna region, on the border between the Emilia and the Romagna parts. It is known as Bologna the Fat for the cuisine you can find there, which is excellent but terrible if you have cholesterol problems. It is the homeland of lasagna and ragu, and 
If you want to be sure that your ragu is up to scratch, you can actually consult the official recipe that you will find at the Chamber of Commerce of the city of Bologna. However, as we mentioned above, our braccio was not there to fight for ragu or lasagna, but as we mentioned, he was there to fight for Alderigo da Barbiano. In his time in the service of Alderigo, Braccio rose to great fame and prominence, acquiring great wealth and reputation. He rose to the rank of captain, and for the first time he was able to bear his own coat of arms, a black ram over a yellow background. His reputation and influence grew so much that the general started to worry about his captain and suspect him, and soon enough, an order to assassinate him was sent out. It seems that the plot was foiled by the wife of Alderigo, who may have become infatuated with the young, dashing, handsome captain. She entered his tent during the dead of night and, unseen, warned him of the assassination plot in time for him to flee out into the darkness. It was at this point that Braccio made an important decision. He had had enough of working for others. He was going to go out on his own. He was going to go freelance. He was going to create his own startup company. In time, this company would become so successful that a type of military strategy would be named after it, and it would take Braccio da Montone to almost become the lord of all of central Italy. So, for this episode, thanks to our gracious guide, we have visited the Perugia of Biordo Michelotti, the Urbino of the Montefeltro dynasty, the Rimini of the Malatesta, and Comuno Bologna, soon to become that of the Bentivoglio. We have a lot more ground to cover, so make sure you put on your walking shoes for the next episode. Thanks very, very much to you for listening. Thanks in particular to my wonderful Patreon supporters, starting with the second part of the Marguerite Hack and Galileo Galilei level, and that is Kevin, Marcelo, Mark P, Marxist-Leninist Sicilian, Mella, Michus Porchus, Mike M, Neville, Niels, Paradise, Patrizia Kappa, Roberta D, Rod L, Rodney N, the question master, Rudy F, Scott L, Sean M, Shauna S, Shelby, Stephen, Tap Dance Down Under, and TO5. And of course, the tippy top, Maria Montessori, and Dante Ligieri Level, Paolo, Lisa K, Andrew M, Brandon S, David A, Peter W, Kevin O, David L, Renat, and Sen. Thanks also and welcome aboard to our new arrivals, Niels, Brendan and Alison. Welcome, welcome one and all. Remember that if you feel so inclined, you can get in touch. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com. At the same URL, you can click through to our social media. 
or you can become a Patreon supporter on Patreon and have access to extra content. Now on the support page, you can also click through to our shop, which will take you to our Redbubble page. Have you always desired a hat with the A History of Italy logo on it for Christmas or just for a laugh? Go ahead and order it. Mouse pads, glasses, thermoses, all kinds of stuff like that. Or are you awaiting the arrival of the great turnip? While you're waiting, you can get some great turnip merchandise on the Redbubble site. Click through from our shop or go to redbubble.com and search for A History of Italy. Once again, thank you very much for listening and until next time, arrivederci. Sentire Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.